All right. Thank you, Bill, for reading Second uh, Corinthians 11. All right. Many years ago, a man was told and believed with all his heart to keep going on a 30-day fast. Severe symptoms would be manifested, but these were just supposedly the toxins of the body that were leaving the body. The man was convinced that Dr. Sheldon's health school knew what they were talking about and what was promised during this 30-day fast by this health school. Toxins being discarded are saving you from serious disease, the literature said. And this will result, um, and if you have these diseases in your body too long, right, you, you, will, uh, you will suffer possibly hepatitis, kidney disorders, blood diseases, heart disease, arthritis, nerve degenerations, and even cancer. Depending upon your heredity and your, or your structural weaknesses, the school literature goes on to say this. Be happy you're paying your bills, excuse me, be happy you're paying your bills now in an easy payment plan with some colds or uh, with some colds which haven't appeared for a long time may occur or even fevers. And then in capital letters we hear this. This is nature's way of house cleaning. Don't, but don't try to stop these symptoms. These symptoms are part of a curing process. And don't try to cure a cure. Terrible symptoms manifested themselves in a 49-year-old man, but he he, kept, he hung in there with the fast. He wasn't being cured of anything. He was dying. And this 49-year-old man died of bronchial pneumonia that resulted from a 30-day distilled water diet sponsored by Dr. Sheldon's health school. It was reported that six others as well died during these so-called cleansing fasts. Um... I found this by looking up health food quackery. <laughs> what would you do if you, being trained in nutrition, understood this quackery inside and out and had people you deeply cared about who had begun to practice and live under this influence? You would fight for sanity, wouldn't you? You would fight for them using reason and research and facts, right? Paul, trained in the gospel, fights for the Corinthians because he loves them. And they are under spiritual quackery. We've talked about these people. They have been nicknamed Judaizers. They have come Christians, Jews who have become Christians, but are confused and who have become influential in the Corinthian area, taken on leadership roles, and now have begun to say they are authorized to speak on spiritual matters. Paul fights for them by arguing, but also explaining how he lived. His arguments were embodied in his very body, the way he lived. He fights for their recovery by defending himself. He doesn't really want to do this, but he does. 
defend himself. Paul, in order to rescue the Corinthians from legalism, becomes a peacemaker through a letter sent so that when he arrives in Corinth, the conflict will have subsided and the Corinthians themselves will, would have dealt with these false teachers. Paul is trying to preserve the church. Trying to preserve the church. A great New Testament scholar, J. Gresham Machen, said, Everywhere we see the great apostle in conflict for the preservation of the church. See, it's not enough that Paul would be a, going through the arduous uh, process of planting churches. Some of you who are, who are new to the Christian faith or just, just new to this whole idea of Christianity, you need to realize that Paul is introduced to us as a Pharisee, a very serious religious person who is a Jewish person. We're introduced to him, and he has a radical conversion to Jesus and We know him by his Roman name, Paul. And he is called by God, has a vision of Jesus, sees the resurrected Jesus speaking to him on more than one occasion. And the sight of the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, that qualified someone to be an apostle and to speak for him. And so we call this the apostolic era. And it ended with the the death of the last apostle. Apostles were authorized to speak on behalf of the risen Lord. They did not practice spiritual quackery. And so it was a serious thing to hear from an apostle, to receive an epistle from an apostle. We believe this is God's very word. Now you may not think of yourself as part of the great task of preserving the church. Like Paul here, look at all this effort to preserve the church, right? Look at all this effort. You have a role as well. Those of you who have become members, you have vowed to preserve the purity and the peace of the church, to to fight for the church's good. All of us have a role in preserving the church. Sometimes the pulpit can go astray. It's... It's happened multiple times in church history where the one preaching, supposedly authorized to preach from the word of God, there's a straying from scripture. And, well, we call them laymen. Members of the church who know scripture and know doctrine have to correct what's happened. The pulpit has been hijacked and the gospel has to be recovered The gospel being recovered is something that actually happens regularly in church history. Sometimes it's completely eclipsed. The gospel is the free grace of God in Jesus. Jesus said that a characteristic of we, his followers, is to be peacemaking in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, it is not an easy task to be a peacemaker. And his special blessing is upon those who move in the direction of his spirit. The spirit is moving to preserve the peace of the church. The spirit is moving to keep the gospel central. Now, let me give you a few characteristics of of peacemaking. Peacemakers see what's beautiful about devotion to Christ alone. Peacemakers 
discern, and I would like you to all think of yourselves as counselors. You counsel each other in the parking lot when you give them give someone advice for a book to read. When they're struggling with a problem, you give someone some thoughts or ideas. Counseling is going on all the time in the church. Peacemakers see what's beautiful about devotion to Christ alone. As we counsel each other, we can help listen well, and we sense that the heart has moved off center. Look at verse 3. I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, referring to the creation account, by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And what's the evidence that they have been led astray? They easily fell prey to the influence of new leaders. And look at verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, look at that, than the one we proclaimed or if you receive a different spirit from the one you receive, that's another way of saying it. Or if you have accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Uh, there used to be a thing called bookstores. Do you remember them? <laughs> and uh, we still have a couple, uh, one at Alamoana and uh, Barnes & Noble, when I was in the, in the religious section there, Christian section. Now, these are just bestsellers because, I mean, they want to sell books. And so you go on some list, maybe the New York Times, and, oh, these are, the, these are what Christians buy. Well, put them on the shelf, right? It's just good management, I guess. Wow, and I, I just took some time. I said, let's, let's, what's going on out there? What's going on? I'm, I am sort of out of it. So I kind of check out what's going on. And um, again, just a lot of, lot of catchy phrases, a lot of promises, a lot of drifting from the atonement of Jesus, the work of Christ, the gospel, um, a lot of really special things that God's supposed to do in your life. A lot of re- God's supposed to do a lot of really special things. 365 days a year. That's what it's all about. God doing special things in your your life. That's that's what it's all about. Well, God does beyond what's special. He does what's amazing. And he's causing you to grow in sanctification and to grow in the image of Christ. And yes, God is at work. But many of these books, they're, they're tailored. It would have been very hard for these books to have been written 200 years ago. People wouldn't, wouldn't a hard-working farmer and his family in Wisconsin in the snow trying to figure out how to get a crop going. You know, just some of these little coffee table books would never have been purchased. Never. And you see that the, verse 3 is talking about the cunning of Satan. It's always disguised. It isn't 365 ways to be led astray from Christ. It's not the title of it. 
would be an interesting, you know, I don't know, an, what do you, you write a cover letter to a publisher, you know? Anyway, so, so the book, so it's always a disguise, right? So after all this ink, all the way up to verse 11, chapter 12, verse 3, Paul finally says, look, you've, you've drifted from a core, simple devotion to Christ. Let me pause for a moment. There's a lot going on in your life, isn't there? Are you busy? Just, just respond in your heart right now. I pursue that simple devotion to Christ. That's what I'm about. I fight and struggle, but I, I pursue that simple devotion to Christ. We in the Presbyterian Church have a remarkable tendency to take simple things and make them complex. The volumes are just amazing. And it becomes a, 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 becomes a problem. I've seen uh, men come before the presbytery to be examined. In other words, before we, before we approve of someone to be installed in Fresno, we're connected to California and Utah, before we, we have to approve someone to be installed in, at, in a Fresno church, right? So we're there, and we're getting a feel for this individual, and I've seen them angry to the point where they almost storm out of the room just because people are asking questions that they don't like. I've seen just an impatience. I've seen a hyper-sophistication that is completely unnecessary. I've seen a disregard for pastoral love for people, and they just think theology is everything. And and the tone and vibe is just sort of to beat people academically down. The church is not edified by that. What's going on with the Corinthians? A peacemaker speaks to the issue. I know we're talking over here. I know we're talking, oh, oh we're talking up here. I know we're talking over here. Can I ask you, what's happening in your relationship with Christ? Just, just tell me what's going on there. Are you hearing him speak to you in his word? Are you having sweet moments with your heavenly father? When was the last time you had a sense that God was present with you, affirming you as a child of God, showering you with his sense, a sense of his presence? Peacemakers see what's beautiful about devotion to Christ alone. So this is the call upon us is to really hone in on that. That means that we have to think. I mean, Pastor Todd, you're asking me to be a, a counselor in the church. And how do I counsel? Take verse 3 seriously. Begin to listen. Listen to someone who complains. Listen to someone who's got this Eeyore thing, always a little cloud above a little purple donkey, right? And they just know, right? That, tell me about the king that you serve. Tell me about the one who went to the cross and rose again for you. Tell me about tell me about the one who is your redeemer now. You are a counselor, and to the extent that you see simple devotion to Christ as central to your life, that will overflow into the lives of others. 
And then Paul uses this beautiful imagery of a bride, a bride who's engaged to this groom. And look at verse 2. I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. He's, 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 my goal was to get out of the way. My goal was to get out of the way. That's the, that's the way, what he's communicating. When a bride is engaged, I have had the delightful task of doing premarital counseling. Man, uh, that's, I think, I don't know if it's easy, but it certainly uh, uh, has a high potential of joyfulness uh, when you're counseling couples that are engaged. You know, the little, flo- the little hearts are floating above their heads, you know, that whole thing. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. It's a shining, there's a shining moment. Happiness is beaming. For both, for, you know, for, for, Engaged couples, the groom to, to the bride. It goes back and forth, right? They're, they're, the fiancés are, are communicating their, their joy to each other. There's a single-hearted devotion to each other, right? It's amazing. It's good. But think about this. Let's say there was a premarital counseling session underway, and the bride continues to refer to how impressed she is with some of the men she works with at the office. It's just like, and how wise they are, how insightful, and you get the sense that her heart is really uh, attracted to something else out here. She receives esteem, uh, financial rewards, career advancement, admiration, and you're here, we're talking about getting married and this relationship, but there's something going on in this other's direction. In counseling coming uh, about a coming wedding day, it seems that the groom doesn't exist. In counseling, she always has a story about something that happened at the office. The office where she works is the place where deep impressions are made, and these impressions shape and reveal her heart. She wants something else in life that align with her true goals in life. These men seem to be central to her career and life aspirations. I'm not making a comment about women working. These men seem to be central to her career and life aspirations. She's going to become something or someone. She doesn't see these attractive men as threats to her would-be marriage. Paul had done all this work planting the church with the goal of having the Corinthians swept off their feet with Christ's beauty as their groom. Another gospel. Another gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is we receive by God's sheer grace everything Jesus has done for us. Everything we have is borrowed, Christian. And peacemaking is a form of honesty because we draw near in friendship to someone and help them see the goodness of the groom. Friendships in the body of Christ may sound like this, 
quote, I'd like to talk about the thinking of your heart and what's going on, what you want out of life, and how this might impact your relationship with God. For some of us, the devoted life, the life of simple devotion means we have to admit what rules our hearts and our calendars. What have we truly been devoted to? It happens to pastors, truly devoted to the success of their church. And they lose, they become dead to the spiritual life. Come thou fount, that beautiful hymn of the faith. Come thou fount. My heart is prone to wander. Lord, I what? I feel it. I hope, I hope you feel comfortable with, Lord, I feel my heart and its wandering tendencies. I'm prone to leave the God I love and make my heart like a fetter and bind my heart like a fetter, I should, I should say. Bind it like a, like a chain to you. We speak honestly. Adam and Eve refused to see the danger ahead. And they became wise on their own. And they saw, and the account with Eve says, and she saw that the fruit was, was appealing and it would provide this wisdom. She, she developed, desired it. And of course, she was deceived. Peacemaking includes real honesty. Look at verse 14, and then I'm going to wrap this up. It is no wonder that his servants disguise themselves as angels, as servants of righteousness. And this is where we can go astray, brothers and sisters. Someone comes and says, this is what true holiness looks like. And they begin to pound away, Jesus is important, but an additional law-keeping really makes you acceptable to God. Now, we become those who love God's law, but we're motivated not to become accepted to God through that, but because we are accepted by God. So the law is precious and important to us. But this is extremely serious. That somewhere in the pursuit of holiness somewhere in the pursuit of being a better Christian, somewhere in the pursuit of really, really being devoted to God, somewhere in that is a legalism that turns away from the cross. And as servants of righteousness, this is, this is uh, sort of mind-boggling. I'm just reflecting on this this week. Right here in Scripture, They present themselves as servants of righteousness, and yet they are cooperating with Satan. People go along seemingly doing just fine for years and years, and then they come across some book. This is it. This is the fix. This is the cure-all. This is the 30-day fast that I was looking for spiritually. This is the key to getting life right. This is the key to true Christianity. This is the key to being truly reformed, if you're familiar with what that means. And what falls behind is simple devotion to Christ. Peacemakers see the danger and speak with honesty and boldness. There's an old French proverb 
and says, you must not only want what you want, you want, but you must want what your wants lead to. And the peacemakers among us, and we're all called to do this, is to anticipate if a brother or sister is going astray, we begin to see what what are the implications of this? Where is this going? Peacemakers will be misunderstood. They will be faulted. Paul's being faulted for some pretty silly things. Treated as if he's given an offense. The question is, are we under an authorized authority for our spiritual lives. And I praise God for us because we seek to be under the apostolic authority established in the church of the New Testament. Who is, think about how, what a bold statement is this is, or question that is. Who's authorized to speak for God? I mean, think about how big, that, how big a question that is. Who can speak for God? There's lots of people who propose that they can speak for God. Many people, everyone kind of seems has a, every individual seems to be an, a theologian of some sort. And people have no problem coming to the conclusions about a massive question like that. Who can really speak for God? It's, a, it's an important question. Who can speak with authority for God? Of course, this is what marked, this is what distinguished the ministry of Jesus speaking with real authority. So we have before us the authority of God. Now the question is whether or not we will say, Lord, your authority is manifested in the life of my King Jesus. How can I not say yes to your authority? How can I not How can I not say, take my heart, yield my heart to you? Encountering Jesus is an encounter with the best authority possible. We encounter Christ not through some mystical experience, not through climbing some mountain and expecting some some transcendent moment. We encounter Christ in the revealed scriptures He's active as our prophet, priest, and king from heaven using the scriptures and the spirit is now applying the the word of God to us. And what happens is it's not just an intellectual, oh yes, I believe that, which is important. It's something about the whole person. The whole person is affected like those on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember that story? Luke 24. And Jesus himself led these disciples in a Bible study about himself in the scriptures. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? And then Jesus disappears from the scene and these two are talking and they say to one another, were not our hearts burning within us? as he was sharing in the scriptures. That's the simple, devoted life to Christ. That is what we are seeking in our daily pursuit of him. Oh Lord, let my heart burn for you. Speak to me. 
Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan to keep the gospel central in your life? First of all, fantastic that you're here. The church is central to that. But for your own personal plan, I would love to dialogue with you, resource after resource for you. Of course, we want you in the scriptures, plans for reading scripture, plans for it to be productive and helpful for you. For some of you, the question, the big question, who is really authorized to speak for God? That's a great question to begin to ask yourself and then begin to explore the scriptures to watch their remarkable authority manifest itself to you. The hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, says this line, O to grace how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let's pursue that daily constraint. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for the beautiful work that you are doing in our lives. You know our hearts, you know what we need. Father, I pray you would move in our hearts such that the burning heart is a regular part of our daily experience. And Father, even when it doesn't happen, even when we're not moved, we would still be rock confidence, just solid rock confident in your grace to us. Lord, thank you for the gospel. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.